We're going to continue tonight with the series, We Are the Church. And out of Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read uh, two verses here. Familiar portion of scripture, but so powerful as we talk tonight about serving that propels the kingdom of God. Serving propels the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. We're going to get ready to read that in just a moment, but I want to start off by saying that many wonder what the call of God is for their life specifically. Now, we all know we were created for a purpose, that God created us specifically, individually, for an awesome purpose, for us to impact this world in a powerful way for Christ. But many times we wonder, God, what's your will for my life? And that may be our prayer, and that's, that's a good prayer to know the specific will of God for our life. And while this is a valid question and should be thought of and prayed about, we are all called to obey God's word. Can you say amen? If we're wondering what the will of God is, if we think about it and wonder what it is for our life, it's, it's found in the word of God. God's word is full of promises. There's full of direction for our lives, full of uh, instruction for us to deal with different situations that we face on a day-to-day basis. But what is key is obeying God's word. We have to do what it says. We could understand it. We could read it. We could, we could memorize it even. But if we don't apply ourselves and obey God's word, then we're missing out on the will of God for our life. As we're faithful to learn God's word, to obey what his word says, then I believe that the Lord will reveal the specific things that, that we ask about and that we pray about in our life. I believe as we obey God's word and obey what God's word says that God will reveal more specific things to us as we're faithful, as the scripture says, as we're faithful in in the small that he'll make us managers over much. As we're faithful with the, the commands that God gives us in his word, yes, he'll give you specific instruction regarding your life, but we have to obey God's word. And as we are getting ready to meet, uh, to read Matthew chapter 28 here, we're going to talk about discipleship. And discipleship and passing on what we've learned and what God's done in our life is the thrust of the kingdom of God, powered by the Holy Spirit. The process and commitment of discipleship propels the kingdom of God forward. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. As we read here in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, let's all read that together. The Bible says this, Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise God. Let's bow our heads tonight as we pray. Dear Lord, we come before you, God. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy, God. We thank you, God, for all the wonderful things that you're doing in our lives, in and through us, God, what you're doing through this ministry, Father God. I pray that you would help us, Lord, that we would obey your word, Father God, that we would, Father, receive understanding tonight of what you're telling us. Holy Spirit, take control, speak to us, guide us, convict us, challenge us, and encourage us tonight, Father God. We thank you, Father God. We give you praise, honor, and glory. We ask in Jesus' name. We all say... Amen. 
Now, what we've learned here is that we're all called to make disciples of all nations, each and every one of us. Each and every one of us are called to make disciples. Now, as I was thinking about our, our message tonight, I had the thought, and it's a sobering thought, that we're just one generation away from losing everything when it comes to the kingdom of God. If you and I are not responsible in passing on what, what we've learned, what God's done in our life, what does that leave for the next generation, for our children? We're one generation away. If we don't do what God's called us to do, if we don't take this scripture, if we don't apply it to our life and we don't make disciples, where does that leave the next generation? We're all called to teach. We're all called to minister. We're all called to encourage others. We're all called to make disciples. This is God's word for us. This is the word of God for our lives. And the first thing that I want to look at tonight is make disciples. And that I want to put emphasis on that word make. We are to make disciples. Disciples are made. There's a process involved. It's, it, you and I, as, as we're called to be disciples, we're in the making. We're being made. And that's what God's called us to do is to make disciples disciples. I want you to think about that word make for a moment. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. God was very intentional in this word that he's using here about making disciples. Now I want you to think about your life. Some of you perhaps when it comes to cooking, oh man, you can get down. You could, you could just put it down in the kitchen, right? You have some, some family recipes that you make. And some of these, re these recipes, they take time and effort and energy, right? You pour your heart and soul into that dish that you make. And I'll tell you what, when, when the rest of us are on the receiving end of, of, of eating, whatever it is, is it's, it's made in love as you poured out your heart into that thing. I'll tell you what, it tastes good. We could taste the love, as people say, Right? When you make something, when you pour your heart and soul and mind into, into something, or maybe you're a craftsman in this place, or maybe uh, you're in, in a different field that involves making things, when you and I do it with the whole heart, with passion and with love, we're able to see a beautiful product. Can you say amen? Now, I can't do all that much, but when it comes time for me to make these jalapeno poppers that I love, that I love making, you know, during Super Bowl time or whenever it is, I'll tell you what, there's a process that's involved. One, I have to go out and I have to purchase the ingredients for these things. And I got to wrap these things. I got to cut the chilies. I got to go and buy these things. I got to do all this thing. And, and I'll tell you what, is during the process, as you're dealing with these peppers, with these jalapenos, my hands start to burn. And long after I'm, I'm enjoying what I've made, my hands are still burning, and it's burning and burning. We're talking hours later, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm always remembering that I made these, that there was a process involved here, that there was, there, 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 was, there was planning involved. We had to go purchase the thing. You had to pay. You had to invest. You had to pay. You had to take the time to do it. And as you do it with love, you're able to make something beautiful that others will enjoy. It's the same way. And we're talking about food tonight. It's Wednesday night, right? We're going to get some food after service here. As we invest and as we invest in others and as we commit ourselves to making disciples, we have to understand that there's a process. There's investment. Yeah, there's money involved. You want to disciple someone, you may take them out, cup of coffee, dinner, 
whether it's over a hobby or whatever it may be, you're investing in someone else. The Greek her, uh, word here for make is mathetuo, which means to instruct and to teach. Making disciples is a process. A process that involves us stepping out of our comfort zone. Sometimes we could just think that, you know, it's just, it's just about me and Jesus, and, and, and I enjoy my relationship with the Lord, praise God, and that's it. But God's called us to make disciples. He's called us to replicate. And what does that mean? That means that you and I have to be that disciple that, that we want to be replicated. That you and I have to commit, commit ourselves to learning and learning from those that have, gone, uh, that have come before us so that we can pass on to others as well. It's a process. Discipleship is always a process. And without discipleship, the kingdom of God will be halted. Now, the kingdom of God is propelled through discipleship. The kingdom of God is propelled through people committing to serving others and discipling others. And that's what we're talking about tonight. We have to make disciples. It takes time. Think about Jesus. He spent three years with his disciples day after day. Day in and day out, Jesus spent time with his disciples. Discipleship takes time. It takes investment. It takes nurturing of relationships. It takes sacrifice. It takes putting our own, as we learned this past Sunday, putting our own priorities and our, the things that are important in our lives, putting them to the back burner perhaps so that we can invest in someone else's life, that we can make someone else feel important, that we can make someone else the priority rather than ourselves. It said that Elisha spent about seven or eight years with the prophet Elijah. And we all read the portion of that story where Elijah was going to be taken up. And what did Elisha ask for? For a double portion. He asked for a double portion, right? And sometimes we want the double portion of God's spirit, but few of us may want to invest seven or eight years to get that double portion. If we're being truthful tonight, it takes patience. It takes patience to be that disciple and to disciple others. Make, making disciples is done through relationships. Can you say amen? Relationships. You and I are products of our relationships, and I want you to take a moment tonight to think about those that have invested into your life. Whether it be those pastors, leaders, elders, friends here in the body of Christ, believers that have poured into your life. What difference it has made in your life. And I don't have to think far, I don't have to think long and hard to think about those that have invested in my life, that have been patient with me, that have seen something in me that, that I many times may have not have seen in myself. Those that have seen qualities that, that yes, have even believed in me when I didn't believe in myself, that believed that I could do it when I didn't think that I can do it. Can you say amen? Think about those who have poured into your life who've loved you enough to care, to plant seeds of encouragement. Our forefathers, our pastors that have, have invested in us, 
we think of the precious work, the powerful impact that they've made in our life. And I'll tell you what, if I could be half as graceful, half as impactful if they, as they have been for me, I know that I'm going to be able to change the world around me. Can you say amen? If I commit myself to nurturing others, and I take the example that was set before me by my pastors, by my leaders, my forefathers, my spiritual fathers that have invested in me, I am going to be able to impact this world. And I'll tell you what, I am going to be able to make disciples of all nations as Jesus, as Jesus explains to us here and he challenges us. Think about it. Think about those who have poured into our life. They're patient with us, right? Patience. Man, long-suffering, graceful. If it was us on the other end, we would have given up on ourselves long ago. But they're long-suffering. They were patient. Praise God for that. And because of that, it's made all the difference. Can you say amen? Here we are today, right? Here we are in our right minds. God's working. God's moving. God's continually transforming us. Why? Because others have believed in us and have discipled us. What do you and I have to pass on to the next generation? Well, one, we know it's Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. That's the investment, the deposit that we have to make in others. Encouraging others to, to know Christ as we know him. But what about your attitude for service? Your attitude to serve, to go the extra mile. You hear that, that are committed to your ministry when, when there's no limelight involved, when others don't see you, there's no pat on the back, so you're there faithful at your post and in your ministry. That is what we need to be carried on in the next generation. Can you say amen? Those in this place that are faithfully serving God, that are doing that, I'll tell you what, you have to pass that on. We have to pass that on to the next generation to serve with that same attitude, with the same passion, with the same heart. It's not going to happen by accident. One, it's going to happen by our exampleship, by you constantly doing that with a good attitude, with a righteous attitude. But you and I taking someone under our wing and encouraging them, edifying them in these things, teaching them what's important regarding the kingdom of God. We have to make disciples, and as we make disciples, the kingdom of God is propelled forward. We all have something to pass on. Now, secondly, as we talk First, about making disciples. Secondly, I want to look at the traits of a disciple. Now, our text shows us in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, that those of us that we invest in, that they're to be found in Christ, that they're, they should have a desire to seek Christ, to, to, to live for him. And, and there's, a, there's a place in our lives for acquaintances. There's a place in our lives for relationships. Praise God. We're a light to this world. But when we're talking about disciples here in Matthew 28, 19, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Any baptism, any salvation, anyone that accepts Christ, it's a willing decision that they have to make. Now, there are those around us that are willing, that they're ready, they're hungry for someone to pour into them. They've said yes to Jesus, and they've laid their life on the line in front of Jesus, saying, yes, Lord, I want to change. I want someone to invest in me. And then there are those others who, again, are our acquaintances, our friends, family. Praise God for that. But I believe that God's placed those around us who have a hunger to be discipled. Now, the disciples... 
Jesus' 12, they walked with Christ. They, they stuck with him. Now, there are many others that were impacted, that heard the word of God. But through, through whatever situation, their priorities were their own. They did their own thing. And we have to understand, in the kingdom of God, there are going to be those. They want to do their own thing. They want to serve God at their own, own pace. Praise God. Be graceful. God's working in their life. Understand that. But there are those around us who are hungry and who are wait, waiting for someone to pour into them, to invest into their lives baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. A disciple is someone who first and foremost is here to serve God and desires to grow in Him. Discipleship goes beyond friendship. It starts at friendship, but a disciple is someone that will commit themselves to being taught, to learn from those that are teaching them, that are pouring into their life. Now, what are the attitudes of someone who wants to be discipled? One, they have to be teachable. Say teachable with me tonight. Teachable. You have to be teachable. Proverbs 12, 1 says this. It says, to learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. I'll read that one more time. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. A disciple must be teachable. They must be teachable. You must be moldable, someone that can be shaped. If your leader, if our pastor, if those that, that, are, that are over us want to speak into our lives and encourage us, we have to be teachable. We have to be open to it. Does that mean that it's always going to feel good? No, it's not going to feel good many times. Many times it's not going to feel good. But we have to be teachable. Think of the disciples. Think of those that heard the truth of Jesus Christ as he was here on earth, as he was preaching. Some of the harsh rebukes that, yes, even his disciples heard. Even his disciples were at the receiving end of those things. But they were teachable. I want you to ask yourself tonight, how do you handle correction? When correction comes your way, what's your attitude? What's my attitude? What's my response? Do I cut that person off and say, I'm done with you, you've offended me? Or do we say, thank you, sir, may I have another? <laughs> That's the other extreme. But we have to be teachable. We have to be teachable. When correction comes our way, soak it up. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't feel good. But I'll tell you what, it's good for your soul. It's good for your spirit because you are learning something new. That's the process of changing. That's the process of being made. There's growing pains. There's correction. There are all these things that are involved. And when we're teachable, we're able to grow. Can you say amen? Secondly, we have to have the heart of a servant. A disciple has to have the heart of a of a servant. Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you must be a servant. Again, as Pastor mentioned this past Sunday, he talked about service and serving. The greatest among you must be a servant. Do we only desire to be a leader, to have the title of a leader, or do we desire to serve? I'll tell you what, the blessing is in serving. Can you say amen? As you and I commit ourselves to serving, to laboring, 
to humbling ourselves and just having an attitude of service naturally and spiritually, God is going to elevate you. Can you say amen? We have to have the heart of a servant. So disciples are made. Disciples are teachable. Disciples have the heart of a servant. And thirdly, what I want to look at here is the method of being an effective disciple. And again, we're talking about the kingdom of God being propelled, the kingdom of God moving forward. And this happens through discipleship. It happens through training, through you and I investing into others. Now, what is the method of being an effective discipler? First, it starts with relationship. There's got to be relationship. You know, when you, whenever you have to ask something of someone, there has to be, a re, there has to be an investment there first. It's kind of like the, the ATM machine at the bank. Now, if you don't have anything in the bank, you're not going to get anything out unless you deposited, unless you made a deposit into someone else's life. You can't expect much. When I think about serving in the kingdom of God, when I think about serving unto Christ, the, the faithful men and women that, that God has put before me and over me, you know why it's so much easier to do that is because, in a way, they've served me for all these years. I talked about them being long-suffering, being patient, being here on platform, ministering to my life, investing in me, whether it's over the pulpit or whether it's through, through personal relationship. The reason that I am able to say yes and invest and serve in this way is because I've been served myself for so many years. Man, with my life, my, my, my leaders have been long-suffering. They've been patient. They've been understanding. They've been graceful. I think of our pastors. I think of Pastor Richard, how graceful he is. Graceful. I mean, through many conversations and many times through words that aren't even spoken, you see the grace of God. And I know that didn't come overnight. That came over years of, pastor, of our pastors serving relationship if you want to pour into others if we all want to impact this world if we want to participate and be part of the kingdom of God being continually thrust forward through discipleship you and I are going to have to invest in others we're going to have to put our desires our needs our priorities the things that that we may hold near and dear sometimes put that on the shelf for a moment and look around you and I and see who's there that I can invest in, that I could pour into, that I can encourage, maybe through a simple word of encouragement, maybe through a phone call, through a simple question, is there anything I could pray with you about, brother? Taking the time, a text. I mean, some of these things can be so simple to build and establish relationship with others. Getting to know who that person is, getting to know their gifts, their talents, their interests, the things that are important to them. And as we're able to build that up, we're able to encourage them, and they too will be able to use those traits and those gifts and those talents for the kingdom of God through relationship. And here's another, here's another set, through patience and long-suffering. That has to be involved when it comes to discipleship. Patience and long-suffering. Look in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. 
Now here we see a familiar portion of scripture where Jesus was starting to talk about his death and how he was going to be handed over and he was going to die for the sins of the world. And here was Peter who thought he was spiritual and had, thought he had the kingdom of God in his mind and thought his priority was the kingdom of God. And, and he started to rebuke Jesus and, and, and speak against him when he talked about these things. In Matthew 16, verse 23, the Bible says this, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. He didn't call him Peter. He said, get away from me, Satan. I'll tell you what, those that have gone before me and my pastors and my leaders, I thank God they've never told me this. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. We read this. How do you think Peter felt? Oh, man. Man, he probably wanted to cower under some rock and just, just run away. Peter, who thought that, that maybe he was it and he was the greatest disciple and, and he had the kingdom of God at his best interest, he started to, to rebuke Jesus as he started talking about this. And Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. Man, it wasn't a good feeling. He may be offended. He was offended. He was humiliated. He may have been discouraged. All these things. And I think about the patience and long-suffering of Jesus. If you and I told someone this, we probably would have just cut him off and said, you're done. I'm never talking to you again. But look in Matthew chapter 17, the very next chapter. This is only seven scriptures later where Jesus, the one that he told, get behind me, Satan, what did Jesus do with Peter here in seven verses later? The Bible says this in Matthew 17, verse 1 through, three, 1 through 3. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched Jesus' appearance, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. In verse 3, suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began, began talking with Jesus. Do we see what happened here? We know this is a transfiguration. We know that. We've heard this story before. Most of us in this place have heard this story. But let's look at the relationship aspect of Jesus and Peter here for a moment. We understand, understand the transfiguration, Jesus and, and Elijah and Moses. We understand the power there. But do you understand the power of Jesus' patience and long-suffering where just seven verses before that he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the kingdom of God at, at your heart. He told him these things, and six, six days later, he had Jesus with him at one of the most profound, powerful spiritual moments in history where Jesus was transfigured. Jesus is long-suffering. He's patient. He didn't cut Peter off. He didn't say, forget you, Peter. You said this once and done, and you're out of here. He kept him close to him. He knew that Peter was a work in progress, that Peter needed Jesus' help, that Peter still needed Jesus. And that's how those that we're pouring into, if an offense comes, if something happens, we have to be patient. We have to be long-suffering. It could be so easy for us to want to cut someone off. Man, I'm done with you. You offended me or you said something bad. I'm done with you. What if Jesus did that to us? Long ago, man, we would have been lost. 
man, I think of each and every service that I'm able to come here in the house of God. I'm continually being transformed. I'm being changed little by little, man. God's molding me and God's shaping me. And why? It's because, of, because God is long-suffering and he is patient. And those who disciple me in the same way, they're long-suffering and they're patient. They didn't cast me off. They didn't kick me to the curb when I messed up or when I said something I shouldn't have or I did something I shouldn't have. They were patient and long-suffering and they believed in me. And because of that, I have something that I can pass on to others. I can now be patient and long-suffering. I get pour into others, and then they are going to pour into others after that. They're going to be patient and long-suffering. Why? Because Brother Matt was patient and long-suffering with me, or, and then I could say that because my pastors were patient and long-suffering with me, and, and it goes all the way back, back up to God. He was patient and long-suffering with us, and because of that, we can invest in others, and we can be patient and loving with those that we are discipling. He didn't cast him off. And talking about Peter, man, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop here. And, and I've, I've shared this scripture before. Look in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. You think that Peter may have learned his lesson by now, that, that he saw the grace and the forgiveness and the long-suffering of Jesus? You think that he may have tried to never make another mistake, but as Jesus was being crucified, what happens with Peter? Peter denied him three times, right? He denied him. Again, there was another offense. Man, Peter just, he, he messed up again. And many of us are like Peter. We're given chance after chance, and God's graceful, long-suffering with us. But as Jesus died and as he rose from the dead we see here how the angel appeared to the disciples and listen to what he said in, in mark chapter 16 verse 7 he said now go and tell his disciples again this is after peter betrayed jesus after he denied him now listen to what the angel says here now go and tell his disciples again talking about the disciples whom peter was one of them Go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to, to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Now, thank you, Jesus, that this passage is here, uh, is, is here in the Word of God. I'm sure at this point, Peter just wrote himself off that I'm done. I messed up one too many times. I'm done. I, I, I throw in the towel. I, I've, I've betrayed the Son of God. I betrayed my Lord and Savior, my friend, the one that I walked with, the one that I, that I tried to protect. I betrayed him, Peter said to himself. That was his opinion of himself. But Almighty God, graceful God, patient, long-suffering God, this angel is here and he's talking. He says, go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. Do we see what's happening here? That Peter was still being included as one of the disciples. Even if, as he messed up, even as he betrayed Christ, he was still being included and was part of one of the disciples. I want to speak to those in this place tonight. You may feel broken. You may feel that you messed up one too many times or that you're too far gone. It's not by accident that you're here in the house of God tonight. I say that because there is time and there's a place for you here in the kingdom of God. That God still considers you one of his 
disciples, that, that the Lord still consider, considers you one of his world changers, those that are going to impact this world, that are going to change this world. You may say, but God, I messed up one too many times, but the Lord said, no, I've already forgotten about that. Come unto me, and I will make you that person that I want you to be. That's for someone tonight. You're not too far gone. If you were, you wouldn't be here tonight. God's patient. He's long-suffering with us. Oh, man, your story is not done yet. He's not done with you yet. He's not done making you yet. My Bible tells me that there is hope among the living. As long as you and I have breath in our lungs, as long as you and I are breathing, as long as we're walking, we're trying our best to walk in the kingdom of God, there's hope for us. There's hope for you to become all that Christ wants you to be. And lastly, there has to be instruction. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, when Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. It says that he had give, gave them instructions. And I want to speak tonight briefly to the discipler. The whole goal here, church, brother and sister, is for us to replace ourselves. We're not going to be here forever. We're not going to be here forever. Don't be scared. Don't be nervous. Don't be timid in training someone else to do the job that you're currently doing now better than you can have ever done before. If you're training those that are coming up behind you to to outgrow you, to outperform you by leaps and bounds, I'll tell you what, you were an effective discipler. You were an effective discipler. If those that are coming up behind you are able to witness better than you, are able to play better than you, maybe as a musician, are able to preach better than you, are able to, to usher better than you, are able to serve better than you in the nursery, if those disciples that you were teaching and training, if they are outperforming you, Pat yourself on the back, man, because you're doing a great job. And this is where humility takes place, church. Man, I don't want to be passed up. I'll tell you what, we, none, none of us want to be passed up. But that's the kingdom of God. We have to replicate ourselves. We have to replace ourselves. God may call us to a new chapter, to a new place. God may move you from this ministry to, a, to another ministry, maybe from one aspect of nursery to, to leadership in nursery. Maybe you have to leave that one class. Whatever it may be, train someone up. And if you get good reports that they're doing a great job, that man, they may be even doing better than you, man. You did a great job. You did your job as a discipler. That is the goal, church. That is the goal. Isn't that what Jesus said? Our wonderful Savior, our perfect Lord and Savior, Almighty God. What did he say? He says, you will do even greater things. Blows my mind. How can we do that? How graceful God is. How he believes in us. Man, sometimes we're our own worst enemies. We just, we just cast ourselves down. And I'm not talking about being arrogant and believing and leaning on the arm of the flesh, but I'm talking about believing in the work that God's doing in your life. If Jesus can tell me that, yes, you'll do even greater works than I've done, that, that, that's his desire is to just, is just to have you grow, is to have you do even more than, than, than he did. 
greater works than these, he says. That's the model of discipleship, church. So this evening, as we talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is constantly moving forward. You and I have an integral part to play, church, each and every one of us. You have something to pass on. We're not going to be here forever. Time is of the essence. Time is short. Let us make the most of every opportunity, every relationship that we have in our lives. Pour into them. The younger generation, those that are coming up, that are learning, pour into them. Be patient with them. Love them. Invest in them. And I'll tell you what, the kingdom of God will continually be pushed forward. Why? Because you and I are faithfully committing ourselves to making disciples as the Lord taught us. Can you say amen? You receive that tonight? Thank you, Jesus.